Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Tell me this isn't amazing. I mean, they went all out. This really is incredible. And look at the turnout. I'm surprised they haven't shut down the street with how much this is overflowing. There is only one place to watch and to celebrate Her Majesty's Platinum Jubilee, and that's here in the heart of the village at Tea and Sympathy. Nothing beats their pies, their sandies, and of course, their afternoon tea. I have been craving their scones for weeks. I'm so excited to slab on some clotted cream and fresh strawberry jam and finally dig into one. Ah, ah, ah. Today we behave ourselves. Today is a celebration in honor of the Queen. So conduct yourself as such. Yes, ma'am. Now, let us raise a cuppa to one of the greatest women in history. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the remarkable play that is the audience. So, hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone. And welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Every Tuesday at approximately 6.30 p.m., the Queen of the United Kingdom has a private audience with her Prime Minister. And on today's show, we are exploring the distinguished play that told this story on Broadway, The Audience. The historical play that received rave reviews and saw huge success at the box office thrilled, entertained, and enlightened theatergoers during its limited engagement on the Great White Way. But before we can discover more of these privy secrets, we must first set the groundwork of the palace. The Audience is written by British playwright and screenwriter Peter Morgan. Its premiere production opened in the West End at the Gilgud Theatre on February 15th, 2013. The play featured Helen Mirren as Queen Elizabeth II. The actress had played the same role in the 2006 film The Queen, which was also written by Morgan. A typical West End performance ran two hours and 30 minutes, including one interval. Following the death of former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, who was featured during the play's run, Morgan made a speech to the audience to mark her passing. Subsequently, a reference to the late Prime Minister's death and the Queen's attendance at her funeral was added as part of the Queen's dialogue with David Cameron. The production was broadcast live to cinemas as part of the National Theatre Live on June 13, 2013. 
The initial broadcast broke the record for most people watching a production live since the scheme began, with nearly 80,000 people watching in the UK and 30,000 people in North America. Further encore screenings were later broadcast. It was now time for the show to cross the Atlantic and premiere on Broadway, which also makes this the perfect time to introduce our design team. The playwright was Peter Morgan, director Stephen Daldry, designer Bob Crowley, lighting designer Rick Fisher, sound designer Paul Arditi, composer Paul Englishby, and hair and makeup designer Ivana Primorak. The show would take up residence at the Schoenfeld Theater on March 8, 2015, where it would play a strictly limited engagement of 114 performances closing on June 28, 2015. A West End revival began at the Apollo Theater, opening on May 5, 2015, with Dame Kristen Scott Thomas as Queen Elizabeth II. For the 2015 production, the role of James Callahan was removed to allow them to feature former Prime Minister Tony Blair, and the script was updated pending a general election. Following the election on May 7, 2015, the scene featuring David Cameron meeting the Queen was updated to show Cameron had won a second term and showed the Queen asking him to form a government. The audience between Cameron and the Queen was changed several times over the 15-week run in the West End to keep up to date with current political events. After the general election results, references were made to Nicola Sturgeon and the success of the Scottish National Party winning seats from the Labour Party. Other current events uh, references made during the audience scene between the Queen and Cameron included the corruption scandal at FIFA and the Greek bailout debate known as Grexit. Specific episodes of the Netflix series The Crown created by Peter Morgan, acknowledge inspiration from the audience. That season, the show would receive three Tony Award nominations and capture two. Best Featured Actor in a Play for Richard McCabe, who played Harold Wilson, and Best Actress in a Play for Helen Mirren, who played Queen Elizabeth II. So, let us don our finest attire, bow and curtsy, and attend our time with Her Majesty. For 60 years, Elizabeth II has met each of her 12 prime ministers in a weekly audience at Buckingham Palace, a meeting like no other in British public life, as it is private. Both parties have an unspoken agreement never to repeat what is said, not even to their spouses. The audience breaks down this contract of silence and imagines a series of pivotal meetings between Downing Street incumbents and their queen. From Churchill to Cameron, each Prime Minister has used these private conversations as a sounding board and a confessional, sometimes intimate, sometimes explosive. The The End
why don't we now dive into the show? We'll raise our we'll raise our cups to the memory of the late great Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and talk about a show entirely about her and her prime ministers. And I'll start off by saying that I absolutely love this show. Of course you would. I mean, I also loved the show. Um, I found it very educating and attention-grabbing. Yeah, I had no idea that there would be a meeting between the Queen and the Prime Minister that would be off the record like that. Exactly. So I didn't know exactly what this was about. Uh, I mean, if our listeners didn't catch the last time, I have family that lives in England. I, I have family that's English. And my mother is obsessed with the royal family. And I didn't know about this, you know. Um, So I found it fascinating. And to have this, um, what should we call it? I mean, it's, this is not based on. uh, This is not factual. That's the word. Yeah. It's it's basically like fan fiction almost, you know, of what could be. A, a fantasized what could be conversations between these great leaders, you know, Maggie Thatcher, Winston Churchill, David Cameron, Tony Blair, to name a few. Um, and then this incredible monarch, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the things that they discussed was incredible. And it humanized a lot of these figures that were very controversial maybe in history. And the first one that comes to mind, of course, is Maggie Thatcher. Oh, yeah. She's a love or hate kind of person, you know, and it just it humanized her. And also, in a way, kind of humanized the queen because the queen is is someone that I don't think we know a lot about her personal life. So to hear her have a softer side in this show was incredible. But to know that there was something like this that existed that was not meant to be like, we're going to talk about affairs with state the entire time, but more to be like, we need to make sure that we just talk to make sure that that monarch and government are simply talking. Well, and yeah, the, the whole concept, especially as an American, can be very foreign, I guess, is the best word for it. Because this idea that, I don't know, we could have a conversation about affairs of state that is off the record and that is, I mean, it still is... The the things they're discussing are still have weight. Well, but they weren't focused on affairs of state. Is the thing they were yeah. more focused on on building a relationship. Or at least that's what we assume. Could you imagine if the president, right, of the United States, and let's say the Speaker of the House, right, mm-hmm. sat down every week and had a conversation off the record and just became friends. Especially if they were on opposite parties. And they just, can you imagine what maybe would get done? Well, and I think that also goes to say, how much could people see eye to eye if they humanized themselves to each other instead of making them opposites or um, the other? And how much can be accomplished if maybe we stop trying to parade everything in front of everyone? I mean, I don't think that decisions should be made in the back room. But I also think there is a time and place for, you know, socializing everything. I think that's also one of the downsides to social media is everything has to be on it. And I'm like, you know, we could keep some things to ourselves. 
some conversations to ourselves. So in this show, they're not discussing... I mean, of course, the monarch really doesn't have a say in laws and whatnot. I mean, they they don't get to be like, this is the law that I want you to pass or what have you. It's ceremonial, but it's more about we're just checking in and we're forming a friendship, almost. An acquaintanceship, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what what greatness could come if we all took a step back and we realized we were humans and we need to just get to know each other on a human level first 30 minutes a week mm-hmm. what 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 could we do if we saw each other as humans first and then enemies or coworkers or whatever second because mm-hmm. that that has always amazed me because when I hear people, especially in power debate, they always acknowledge out of respect, you know, the gentleman from this or the great person from this or the the respectable blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, yeah, but you say that and then you're just going to bash them or bash their idea. How is that respectful? If you genuinely respected someone, you wouldn't, you know, dismantle or, or humiliate them. And I think that this gave a great opportunity because I don't think the... Uh, to my knowledge, the queen ever humiliated a prime minister. No. And I don't think a prime minister ever was like, the queen is a horrible person. Well, and something that I think is just very interesting because before I saw this show, I was like, what is the point of a monarch? I remember us having this conversation, what is the point of a monarch? Right. And this show kind of made me realize that for the British, the the queen represents the heart of the people even though she doesn't experience what the people experience she's someone who and maybe this is just the way that queen elizabeth ii you know held her role but she was someone who said i'm you know i am the heart of my people when they suffer i suffer when you know and the royal family is the most um public figure of the British monarch of the of, of the UK of England itself you know and 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 the greatest point is this name who the British Prime Minister is right now oh I have no idea who it is anymore name who the previous one was uh Boris Johnson no I have no idea Liz Truss who oh. was before that was that Boris? Yes. Okay. And before that. I don't know. See what I mean? Nobody knows who the prime minister is versus like America where we kind of have an idea of who our, who the president is. That's our most public figure in theory. The royal family is their most public person globally. They are their representative, right? And though they have no political power, though they have no way of making laws or anything, they do an immense amount of good. And they do an immense amount of diplomatic good around the world and representing the Commonwealth. Um, And though a monarch is outdated, it does not govern. It does its job in representing the people and the goodness of it, which I appreciate. Well, and the fact that they don't have a say in the politics allows them to stay... Out of everything. Exactly. And they can stay for what is, I guess, publicly accepted as... Exactly. They don't have to worry about, well, I have to side on this issue or that issue so that I can retain my seat and this and that. No, they can just be like, well, this is a good cause and we're going to support it whether everybody likes it or not. Mm -hmm. And that is commendable because I've always been frustrated with elected officials in that sense where I'm like, you should just stand by what you believe in and not worry about having to get 
reelected or something, you know, mm-hmm. do what you came here to do and don't let your position be swayed because you're worried about retaining your seat. Do your job. Be honest. Be real. That's why I can't run for an office. I'd be too right. honest. I'd be like, I'm going to raise your taxes and pay for healthcare, education, and, you know, good things like that. And people would be like, no, that's not okay. And I'm like, yeah, see? Right. Well, and I think that that just goes to show that this this play had an impact on me because it made me realize that maybe that is what's missing from American politics is the humanization of the policies. Well, they gave a great chance for the prime minister to hear from someone higher up than them well, and in someone way, who the didn't queen. have a responsibility to or, voters or a, a stake in the game to say here's the human side of it perhaps you're not getting this point of view from this issue to counsel almost yeah and vice versa because the royal family is not without their trials you know and so for the prime minister to come in and be like hey just so you know here's my point it these connections that like i said they were dreamt up almost because like I said nobody knows what was what was said you know nobody was in the room where it happened um, it was amazing to see how they leaned on each other mm-hmm. so with that why don't we go in and start breaking down the performance and the production itself yes so starting with the set I mean I, I want to say first of all the entire show was very simple and that simplicity was what made it great so starting with the set it was a singular set that was basic and beautiful. It had these, it was a large and ornate room. Tall, like walls that reached to the ceiling with this yeah, beautiful. It would be sh- what you expected from a palace. Right. And it was like a sitting room in the palace, you know? Um, the main focus were these two chairs that would be brought in for the audience. So there, you know, we would have the audience between the prime minister and the queen. And when that scene would end, the two footmen would come in, they would like remove the chairs, we would have, I'll say, our scene change. And depending on what we were at next, it could be Her Majesty sitting at her dressing table, I remember, for instance, at one moment, and she might be having a conversation with her past self. Mm-hmm. Remember, there was the younger Elizabeth who was speaking into the microphone at one point, or riding a bicycle. So we might be having that, and then the footman would enter again with the two chairs. Mm-hmm. And that was basically the set. You know, we never really left that room. Um, which I was so happy about because the focus really was on what happens in that room. Exactly. And we are create and, and it was a complete creation of this world and what happened. The minute we left that room, everybody knew exactly what happened. It's within these walls. Anything is possible. And so it became like a playing space for our imagination to figure out what they could have said what we imagine they would have said based on what we know about them as people. And what I loved is I have a feeling, and I'd be interested to know this, but I think the only thing, only real thing about this show is that space. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would like to, I, I, I'd like to find out, but I feel like that space they recreated was the room that they actually met in. Mm-hmm. Everything else is dreamt up. And there's no way to say that, no, that didn't happen. But you also can't say that it did. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it's it goes mm-hmm. both ways. But I think the room is the only thing that they can, they've looked at pictures or maybe they saw it themselves and they went, ah, this was the room and we're going to recreate this room on stage. After that, 
maybe with our next uh, bit, which is the costumes, because we did have the iconic um, costumes right, that well, the queen wore, those beautiful outfits. Right. Well, and we did have a moment where she was in her coronation dress. Yes. She, we had a progression of her hairstyles and her aging. Yes. She um, was in that beautiful pink suit. Um she was up in her Balmoral outfit, the beautiful plaid and whatnot. And of course, you had the prime ministers. I mean, it's nothing necessarily to write home about because the prime ministers were, you know, mainly in suits. But seeing the progression of that fashion and, of course, Maggie Thatcher mm-hmm. with her hair. I don't know what the look is, but it's like that three it's, rolled. It, it's, you, yeah, it's, we... <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, where it had like the two giant rolls on the side and the one giant roll on top. The way we could describe it is a shampoo set. Just the easiest way to describe it is the shampoo set, the 80s shampoo set. But what I loved about, I mean, we could go on and on about the costumes and the looks and that, you know. It's the queen. Everybody knows what she looked like over time. And they gave us what she looked like. But what was most impressive to me in this area was she did the costume changes and never left the stage exactly helen mirren never left the stage the entire show with one exception and that was an intermission but she was on stage the entire time and i remember being amazed because we watched her majesty from the moment she was coordinated to you know 2015 and it wasn't always linear no no no, no. and so watching her do these quick changes on stage and then these wig changes as well. And what was interesting is they were hidden, but they weren't. In they a were way. in plain sight. But they were also trying to be sort of uh, uh, masked so that we didn't know which queen we were getting next. And I was fascinated because, I mean, it's not the costume change that immediately was like, oh, because, you know, I've seen quick changes with costumes before. It was the wig changes that blew my mind because I'd never seen, to my memory up to that point, a wig change on stage that was kind of masked like that. I mean, like in Hedwig, I remember the wig change and it was obvious that Hedwig was going in the car to do a wig change. We knew that. This was like, it's meant to, oh my gosh, she just went from coronation to now queen. And now she went back to when she was queen in 1940. And now she's, you know what I mean? Like, it was so incredible. And I remember asking you at intermission, how are they doing that? And that's the first time I learned about magnets. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that magnets were used in wigs. And then that was a thing. Because I just remember being like, how are, it was dark. It really mm-hmm. was dark on stage. And I'm like, how are they pinning and doing everything so fast? Like, I had to be so nervous. And you're like, oh, they're just using magnets. I'm like, what well, now? <laughs> and especially because with the queen's movement she's not doing anything crazy she's not going up upside down she's not doing spins she's bashing her head in the 80s against right Maggie no she no. <laughs> they just need to stay put um and so yeah one of the scenes that sticks out the most to me is when she's writing at her desk and she leans her head in and when she brings her head out it's a whole new wig yes or one time, um, one of her ladies' maids walks on stage with a tray, and then next thing you know, they're leaving, and it was a wig change. Yeah. It was It was so beautifully done. It was hidden in plain sight, and those are the things that I absolutely love in a production. Well, it's the tracking, because again, it was, it could have been putting one wig on top of the other, or what mm-hmm. have you. Or and pieces, and... So it's the tracking of... Being able to be like, we can just simply have her slide that wig off and there's the next wig on. And it looked flawless. Because again, this is the queen. This is her majesty. 
a hair cannot be and out of place. And she was alive. Yes. During this. Um, now, the one thing I do want to say is I was reading an article um, that said that part of the process or the production process of putting the show together was a whole separate, like, um, creation process or even a tech process between the director the costume designer and the wig person before we even built the set before we even got into like rehearsals like in a traditional sense of just the costumes wow they needed their own production process because they were such an integral part in transitions and you can't create something for a transition on a time schedule that you would normally do for a tech process wow you know well and they were uh Usually with shows, the set is the biggest transition piece that, you know, and set and costume. They're the two right, biggest ones you like have to rehearse. S- there was really no huge set change in the show except for two chairs. You know what I mean? Well, and the thing there, you know, you always practice transitions. But when you're trying to come up with a a movement of transition like this show did, you can't necessarily use standard um, quick change practices or yes. things that you've done before. You have to be innovative. And sometimes with the creative process, the only way to figure it out is to actually go through the motions. It was like a precursor to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child because we, with with Helen Mirren not leaving the stage, it didn't make sense for people just to come on the stage and be like, you know, rush over and da 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 Okay, here's the queen. You know, it had to look like the people coming on stage had a purpose. These were the people waiting on the queen. Why are they there? And why are they surrounding her? And oh, the queen just changed and we're at a different time period. And they had to work out that. It was everybody involved in her costume changes had to move and be with purpose. They were being directed. They were as much a part of the cast as everyone else. And I just think it just goes to show how collaborative this art form is because that's not a normal thing that would happen in a production process or even a rehearsal process but for this show that's what it called for so that's what they did and i love that yes moving on to the lights they were very simple but absolutely gorgeous we were getting soft lighting mostly from the front um with these uh mostly light whites like soft whites and soft yellows um it was that clearly it was a, a home kind of lighting, you know. Um, obviously, it wasn't an office lighting, but it was that beautiful, soft, regal lighting. I mean, when I was putting this together, really, the, the only thing I could think of is it's wealthy lighting. You don't see that kind of lighting in, like, our apartment, you know. Um, I, I think of, like, a grand hotel. Mm-hmm. With that kind of lighting, the way that the the light glimmers off of the chandelier, off of the crystals, and well, and the way the that way the light, positioned. the way that the lighting can change between, you know, what six thirty looks like in winter versus six thirty in summer. Well, that too. I just mean the the, the hue of the room. Mm-hmm. You know, it we where where you know a typical person might light it with a, a lighter place with like a lamp in the corner or what have you. This clearly just had that that feeling, that gravitas of, of grandness, of ornateness, and they captured that with that shade where you felt this room was grand, not just from the set and from the people in it, but this, the lighting even just communicated that. And it also gave the sense the room was also warm, though. 
Even well, though it was grand and huge, it still felt warm and welcoming. But I remember when it was the Queen and Margaret Thatcher, it didn't feel warm. No, there was more white in it. And there was a little bit more iciness because it was the first time they had a female prime minister. And of course, again, Maggie Thatcher was a lover or hate her prime minister. And she was a little bit colder to the Queen. And there I I would love to learn more about the relationship, but if I remember right, they in the play, their relationship, they kind of got to eye to eye where they started seeing each other a little bit. And Maggie Thatcher started to go, okay, I see where she's coming from, where you don't have to fight everyone. You don't always have to start a fight. Mm-hmm. Kind of well, and the lighting was just also beautiful because it helped us through those transitions because not all of the transitions were in darkness not all of the transitions were in blue lights they were different depending on what it was needed for yes. and it was beautiful i love the lighting from the wings when they would bring in the chairs mm-hmm. there was a there was lighting coming from the wings and then there was some lighting like from the footlights almost uh, and it was just beautiful the way the footmen were. By the way, I mean, this, again, these are the devil in the details, but the way that the footmen brought the chairs in, and it was perfect from off in the wings, and it was perfect. They came in the exact same time. They moved in the exact same place on the stage. It was beautiful. The other part of the lighting that I remember is when she would have those moments where her younger self was there, we got those ghostly lit moments, mm-hmm. and I, it looked like they were using gobos to communicate almost like looking through um is it muslin tool yeah, yeah you know just yeah. like like a, a screen a scrim yeah sheer or fabric something like that um and the one that really stands out to me the most and there's a great picture of this is when she's sitting in her coronation gown and it's clear that it's a memory of the past mm-hmm. that she you know she didn't meet with the prime minister in her coronation gown but it's clear that that's a memory and they didn't have, they didn't do it in such a way that it was like slapping you in the face. It was just a slight change. And we knew that that part of the stage or that particular character or that particular moment was a memory. For well, her. and I think that dives into the direction because really the, the transit, a lot of the storytelling for this existed in the transitions and the. Um, scene changes. One thing that comes to mind, you talk about the footmen coming in. The fact that we did have all of these people and all these attendants to the queen coming in and out of the scenes, but anytime the audience, the conversation of the meeting took place, everything was gone. That way we knew it was this private, intimate moment. Correct. And It's, again, it's the simplicity of the show that was like the selling point for me. I mean, it was two people in a chair talking. And if you tell people, I'm going to a Broadway show that's two and a half hours long with an intermission and it's basically two people in a chair talking, they're going to look at you and be like, are you high? Like, what? It's the most fascinating conversations you will hear because it's it's hearing stories from different people that you never thought you'd hear. The the Scottish prime minister who never thought he'd become prime minister and didn't necessarily want the job. And he's talking about his fears and how he's just more of a family man. I was like, I know nothing. First of all, I knew nothing about you. But second of all, to be so human mm-hmm. and in front of this great leader, like, wow. David Cameron, the way he was depicted, 
was like the son she never had. The way that they interacted. It was amazing. Um, of course, Churchill almost seemed like a father to her. Mm-hmm. You know, it. I, I just, I admired the different tones and relationships that were founded. And I found myself fascinated with each prime minister that spoke with her. And I wanted to know, so how is it going to go next? Mm-hmm. How do you view, how, how do you bring this new person into your life and essentially into your family? What will you do next? Mm-hmm. Because well, the queen didn't keep a lot of people close to her, obviously. Obviously. And well, so how do you welcome someone like that into your life? Well, and also the fact that you have these people, these regular, ordinary people that became into the, you know, the position of the prime minister and to have that intimate relationship with their queen. Right. You know, to be and, able to have something that nobody else gets in a way. Nobody else is going to know what was said between them. She could have told them the biggest secrets and her biggest secrets in the world. And of course, no one, not even their spouse, will ever know. That's And the fact that it was all unspoken. Yeah. That through all these different people, the sacredness of this meeting... Remains unspoken. Yeah. That's incredible. And I think that's a huge sign of respect. Mm-hmm. And I think... You know, as Americans, sometimes a lot of the things in British politics can be hard for us to understand. And I think this this play did a beautiful job of showing us what it is. Like, because I couldn't describe it in words, but it showed me what that respect is. Right. It, it's almost gentlemanly. We might be fighting each other viciously for things and we can be very cutthroat, but... At the end of the day, respect is the most important thing. Well, and I think it's something that we as Americans don't really necessarily have a... We would throw each other under the bus just to win. Yeah. And, and, and so... we, would, we would rather do that than actually treat each other as humans or as Americans. And that's one thing that I, I, I see your point about that. The other thing that I loved about the direction is it was a perfect... The, in, the, in the acting... It was a perfect resemblance in both physicality and mannerisms and voice and whatnot of all the characters on stage. Starting with all the prime ministers, I mean, these prime ministers who had passed, you would have thought have come back from the grave just for the show. It was a spitting likeness of these incredible leaders, you know, and then to pair that there is a reason why Helen Mirren is like the gold standard of portraying Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, I felt like I was witnessing her. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I saw the Queen today. Uh-huh. <gasps> you know, it was incredible. I Well, and what kind of pressure <sighs> for her to play Her Majesty the Queen? Again. Especially, well, and especially being a British citizen, you know, being a citizen of a subject of her majesty so not only to portray her but do her that justice and have that unspoken respect for her and to be able to portray her i right. just think that that's brilliant and i would have loved to know what the queen thought of her performance i was just thinking i was like i wonder if the queen ever attended the show or ever got to see the show and i wonder what the queen thought of helen mirren's performance i mean that also goes into did the queen ever watch the show the crown and and you know what were her thoughts i I have so many questions. I I wish I could have asked. You know, the knowing queen. that Peter Morgan wrote this show that I enjoyed and did The Crown, I was like, okay, now I really need to watch mm-hmm. The Crown. But it was so incredible to watch 
these performances because you know we've, we've talked a lot about the masterclass and the design and everything but the acting the attention to detail was beyond amazing you know um you really you can create a character hold on you it's i think it's a lot easier to create a character on your own than to to imitate someone uh, in real life right when you get to come up with everything other than the dialogue for your person right. it's a whole nother when you are essentially replicating exactly a living person and not just a living person a well-known right. well-documented well-recognized person exactly and so i was like mm, <clears throat> the stakes are high you know we start off with with the queen and winston churchill and i'm like Okay, I know exactly what both of these people look like, sound like, act like, and there was no disappointment. So I was like, this is this is incredible. With the director, what he also gave us in the simplicity is he gave us that front row seat to such an intimate moment in the Queen's life, which I don't think there's a lot of portrayal of that. We see a lot of the Queen's public life, but I don't think there's a lot of portrayal of her in her private life. And her thoughts. We don't do a lot of... I mean... Okay, it's her private life. So obviously we're not going to pry into that. But for someone to to dream up um, what possibly the queen thinks, does, or says in her private life. And keep it so reserved and respectful. It was incredible. I really felt like I was a fly on the wall. And I also felt like when the audience was done, I was like, I need to go too. And this is now Her Majesty's time, and I have overstayed my welcome. Thank you know. <laughs> right. Well, and I just think that. Uh, th- so, in my mind, I compare Elizabeth and Victoria constantly. Now, you mean Elizabeth II, right? Yes, Elizabeth II and Vic- Queen Victoria. I compare them a lot because there's a lot of there's a lot of works done to portray the personal of Queen Victoria. And I think a lot of that has to do with her no longer being around. So I think now that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II has passed, I think we are going to see a lot more works about her personal... And private life. Yes. Just because I think that it does come from a place of respect, especially in in a way where this, you know, you have a woman who has made it very clear that she wants to keep these two things separate. Yes. You know, and so I think it was done out of respect. And now that she's passed, that's where the exploration is going to begin. Well, I also think in this age of, of media, I mean, the Queen Usher, Queen Elizabeth II ushered in and saw the greatest transformation of technology and media of any monarch. And she had to fight hard to keep that separation of um, private and public life. So I would be interested to see what stories come out about that because i don't think we know as much about queen victoria's private life because of that but in the age of you know 24-hour media and social media we'll see what comes of that the last thing i want to say is the stillness and the quiet moments forced us to just lean in just a bit more and really dive into the story that that much more i mean i love that essentially the queen sat there and she's very I, I hate to use the term rigid but she was she didn't really move she sat in her chair and she listened and it was the prime minister that would move around and you know and in her stillness and her softness 
when she spoke, we leaned in to hear, you know, and it was like, I loved, I guess what I loved is you could see the dynamic, the juxtaposition of the two uh, seats of power, if you will, in, in British, in the British uh, government, mm-hmm. I guess. Um and it made you wonder, like, maybe the queen should have more power because she was level-headed. She was steadfast. She was dignified. And she, no matter what was going on in the world or what leader was in front of her, she was still like, I am the queen. I am here. And I will be here. I've been here long before you were here. I will be here long after you were here. You know, Um and it, I really was just like, it, it, of the two people that are in front of me, I'm going to listen to that one that is not bobbing and hobnobbing and standing and whatnot, you know. So I, I appreciated that. The show has had several notable performers, including Judith Ivey, Dakin Matthews, Richard McCabe, and Helen Mirren. <laughs> about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. So this was a huge success for Helen Mirren. Um, It was her first Tony Award, if memory serves me right. Um, Not her Broadway debut, though. She made her Broadway debut uh, 20 years prior in 1995. This also was one of the best stories of Queen Elizabeth II. I will not go on record and say it's the only story about Her Majesty, but in my opinion, as of now, it is the best. Um, and it's a beautiful story of some of the most influential and important people in modern British history. Mm-hmm. Um, show me another uh, uh, show um, that puts together all these incredible people on one stage and tells the story that it does. Right. They're, it doesn't exist. So I think those are the, the highlights of the theatrical impact. Now, if we go on to societal impact... I think definitely the impact of giving Americans the insight to British government and the more personal side of British British politics, I should say. Yes, and also British history. I think we have the Cliff Notes version of a lot of things that have happened over there, but we don't quite understand maybe inner political struggle or what have you. And it's like you said, you, you may not have understood the role of the British monarch or the relationship between queen and, and prime minister. Or, and, and all of a sudden you might've left going, Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. It was almost like they, they were counselors to each other. Um, and I think it also showed a greatness, showed the greatness of listening and to change, especially in a powerful role. It showed the strength of adapt of of a um, adaptability. Yeah, that's the word. You know, the remember Her Majesty the Queen sat on the throne and and ruled for seventy five years. Think about the amount of change that has happened in seventy five years, and she was a beloved queen 
you don't get to be that way by being the same person you were 75 years ago. Uh-huh. So she demonstrated, and everyone should take a note from that, that there's there's only strength in learning and changing and adapting. Because when you know better, you do, you do better. better. Exactly. And I think that sh- the show showcased that, you know, as, as time went on and she listened to her ministers and also listened to the people and learned and whatnot. She, her ideas and her positions on things change and she showed it's not weakness. In fact, it's strength. There was a lot of times where she was more popular than the prime minister and, and then the British government. And it almost was like, hey, why is that? Well, take a note. So then we arrive at the question. Is this show still relevant? This is a fantastic show and one that I truly love. It's perfect to me for regional theater. But here's the thing. With the recent passing of Her Majesty the Queen, I worry that it may not have the same effect it once had right now it may be seen as a memorial play as opposed to a historical play so for right now this is a no for me but maybe in a couple years this may be perfect especially if they add on the last few prime ministers the queen had an audience with as well as a lot of the political issues that have happened like brexit and even the covid crisis Mm -hmm. i know trigger trigger warning but you know it would be interesting to see how all of that. I would love to know how the queen conducted this audience during the lockdown. Right. Well, and I think that, um, you know, like we've talked about before, what is relevancy? And for us, when we ask this question, we're like, is it relevant on Broadway? And I think you're right. This would be considered a memorial play right now, especially just with everything um i did love that this show while it was happening actively it was adjusting and changing for the times so maybe becoming a historical memorial play might be in its future if it was adapted just a little bit and maybe it might hit the same maybe it might hit a little different and so i think you're right this we do need a couple more years or even a decade before this show. I don't know if we need a decade, but yeah, you know, just some time. Just some time to let the dust settle on 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 her past. And that, oh, it's going to take some time. 75 years. I'm still not ready to accept that she's gone. <laughs> she was the queen that I'm, the only queen I've known, you know? wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we had the good fortune of seeing the show once back in 2015. And as we've mentioned, just being amazed and captivated by the show, seeing the exceptional talent on the stage. I mean, it it, it was incredible. I was captivated. This was our day of British theater. We, mm-hmm. we had seen Churchill at New World Stages that afternoon, that Thursday afternoon, and now we were seeing the audience. We get a double dose of Churchill. 
Um, but I think the best memory we took away was getting to meet Helen Mirren afterwards, getting our picture with her and her autograph. And she was so nice. She was not what I was expecting. So I was expecting this kind of regal and hello. I, I believe she's a dame, if I remember right. Yes, she is a dame. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, you know, this dame uh, of the throne, come, I was expecting her to come out and be like, hello, yes, I'll sign. And you would have thought, like, we had just met her regular on the street. She was so kind, loose, just chill. And I was... Now, the one thing I remember is she was very tired, which you would expect, you know, giving that beautiful performance. And so the fact that she still stopped to take photos and sign was just absolutely lovely and beautiful. But she wasn't like, I'm leaning on the barricade and I'm giving the smile. No. I remember her putting her arm around me and like pulling me in close. And I was like, is Dame Helen Mirren just like really doing the, we're at a pub, you know? And I was just like, this is incredible. She was unreal. It was amazing. And I love that this the woman who honestly portrays this incredible figure, I think the best is just such a regular human, you know? Well, that just goes to remind us that actors are real-life regular humans. I just love Dame Helen Mirren. She's incredible. You'll be able to catch the audience at a theater near you. Or somewhere on the live stream, somewhere in the internet, I'm sure. Yeah. We also want to remind you that you can now become a producer and patron of our show by getting your backstage pass or by leaving a monthly tip in our tip jar. Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of Cape. If you like what you hear, please leave a five star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Lovira and Billy Murray. <laughs> <laughs>